0: Hello, future site listeners. I'm Vito Labate, host of Capgemini's new show, Intelligent Industry. This week on the show, we're going to be featuring our first episode to give you a peek inside the world of intelligent industry. From 5G and edge computing to the Internet of Things and much, much more, we want to show you how the future of industry is intelligent. Be sure to join us and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. Our world is changing and our approach to how we interact with it is, too. Year after year, we see industries adapt and change to a moving set of targets demanded by customers, sustainability requirements, and constant developments in technology. These changes are not stopping anytime soon. If anything, we're seeing them speed up. Sometimes all this change can be overwhelming and hard to keep up with. So on this show, we're going to take a look at the core components of change what's fueling them, and how you can begin approaching your industry in a whole new way, an intelligent way. Over the next three episodes, we're going to be unpacking one of the biggest shifts in our lives today. The ground we live and work on, the territories in which we live. So much has already been said about the smart city, but with the events of the last couple of years, we've seen the infrastructure and services that used to be centralized move away from one central hub. We'll see how new connectivity and data technologies are effectively democratizing access to new ways of operating. How autonomous vehicles are set to rewire the baseline infrastructure of our towns and roads. And finally, we'll take a look at the way you can be part of the systems of the future. I'm Vito Labate, and this is Intelligent Industry, a podcast from Capgemini. Intelligent Industry is a show about reframing your thinking to tackle the biggest problems in business and society. Through new approaches to technology, design, data, and communication, we'll look at how we can create a new intelligent world. When we speak about this term, Intelligent Industry, we're really talking about a revolution. A revolution in business that is changing every industry out there thanks to the rapid development of a range of new digital technologies like 5G, edge computing, artificial intelligence, and the Internet of Things. We like to say that the future of industry is intelligent, because every type of company can start to do business in a new way. Before we tackle the worlds of artificial intelligence and smart territories, it's important to understand two very core technologies that are empowering everything we'll come to cover on the show. 5G and edge computing you've probably come across 5G. It's slowly making its way into our phones and devices. And whether you knew it or not, you've probably already experienced edge computing. To help give us a baseline understanding of what these two technologies are and what they're capable of, I spoke to Dan Beeler from the tech market analyst firm Forrester.
1: I'm Dan Beeler. I'm an analyst at Forrester and I'm part of the CIO team, which... It's a team that is globally positioned and we help CIOs and CTOs of primarily end-user businesses to deal with the technologies that help businesses to reposition themselves to deal with custom engagement in a, a more meaningful manner.
0: Dan, there's been quite a bit of misinformation surrounding 5G. So could you explain 5G to us at a high level? What is it and what is it actually capable of?
1: 5G is a cellular technology, meaning it's a technology that allows to transmit data in a wire-free context. It's obviously um, the next generation in cellular technology following 4G or also LTE. And it has three specific Features. One of them is to provide extremely fast mobile broadband. The second one is what they call massive and critical IoT services, which essentially means that you can connect many more sensors or assets or devices in a specific geographic location than with the previous generation of cellular technology. And then the third feature is that your can have ultra low latency and extremely high reliability compared to the previous generation. So it's one to five milliseconds with 5G compared to five to 50 milliseconds with 4G conditions.
0: Clearly quite a powerful new paradigm. I feel though that I've been hearing about 5G for years in both good and bad ways. Why has it taken so long to be part of our lives?
1: It could be, there are a couple of issues why it feels as if it's dragging on a bit. First of all, what is a little bit unusual in the context of 5G is that the standardization process is still ongoing. So rather than having one standard defined and you then bring the standard to market and everybody can manufacture the right devices and the right network infrastructure components, with 5G, this process of standardization is much more drawn out. There's a standardization setting body called the 3GPP and they release particular elements of the 5g standard bit by bit and what has been released so far was release 15 and this specified and standardized the very fast broadband feature of 5g and therefore if you have a 5g capable handset right now then you can access this particular feature of 5g what is Just about to be standardized is the very low latency component of 5G. And this means that within 12 months, roughly, we will have handsets that can also support this other, the second feature, the very low latency feature of 5G, and the network infrastructure components can support this feature. So it takes some time. And then after release 16, which is the very low latency, there will be release 17, which specifies additional kind of features of 5G. And this process is likely to go on for several more years. Many observers say it might well take into 2025 until all the 5G features are really rolled out, until the the devices and the network equipment components are out in the field, and we as end users, as business users, can then access these different 5G features.
0: Important then, I guess, to think of 5G, not just as an upgrade to the icon you see in the corner of your phone. It's a whole new set of tools for devices far beyond the phone that you have in your pocket and that you can take advantage of. 5G though is just a method of moving data. The technology itself can't process anything nor act in a specific way. It's purely the road our applications use to get from A to B. While many of us have significant computing power in our pockets and homes, it's also important to bring intelligent approaches to data as near to the users of the systems as possible. That's where edge computing comes in. So how exactly do 5G and edge computing come together?
1: So the the concept of edge computing, and some people used to call it, maybe still call it fog computing, is that you have component of the network at the very edge of the network, which is the point um, of the broadcasting cell between the, that sends the signals to your handset, where some of the calculations, the compute and maybe even the data analysis can take place, as opposed to a central data center, which might be quite far away. The point here is that if you have particular applications or services that require low latency or accessing very large amounts of data think of a multimedia type of or content or a situation where you need to have very low latency such as maybe gaming or autonomous cars then it would be really impossible to always send data to a far away data center that accesses the relevant data that you require or does some calculations on data that you need to analyze and send it back to you. The, the latency, the time it would take for this round trip would be too long. It would be certainly many milliseconds, which if you want to take the example of an autonomous car and it, you're thinking about lane changing or braking systems, it would be too long. So the idea is to have a, an edge mini data center where some of these calculations can take place and that you don't have to send back and forth um, a lot of data or only the data that is absolutely critical to access a central data center. So it's a smart component at the edge of the network that should enhance the customer experience significantly.
0: What's the value in them over just having a data center and the current cellular technologies?
1: The point where 5G comes in is that if you think about a situation where you have a smart data center, the edge of the network, you still have to bridge the air to your handset. And if you have a very slow connection to your handset, say a 3G connection or so, the custom experience would still be terrible. So you need to have a very good connection between the edge data center and your handset. And that's where 5G in combination with edge comes in, because It ensures that this last mile, this last stretch, uh, the distance between you and the data center can be bridged very effectively with 5G because you have super fast broadband speed and very low latency. So, the, the main challenges for 5G are the issue of the availability of handsets and the equipment, in particular against the availability of features and functions that are still being standardized because if you have a 5g handset in your pocket right now you will not be able to use the features that will be available in three years time for 5g and so there is a limitation in terms of the willingness of people to replace the existing handsets Maybe the um, replacement cycle is two years, maybe it's three years, but there will be a certain um, delay before everybody has the handsets in their pockets that really support the full range of 5G features.
0: While 5G is taking its time to get to a device near you, companies are beginning to work with it and edge computing in some new and interesting ways that you might not expect. One of those ways isn't just delivering the latest TV show to your device. It's the energy you use to power everything in your life. The way our national energy grids work is about to change in a major way. The definition
2: of energy, the vertical itself, is is changing as well. There's a lot of new market entrants in this space that I think are driving some of these IoT-enabled solutions into the market today. But just to give an example, not to get into too much industry lingo, but I think everyone is aware that the grid is changing.
0: This is Mike Bates, Global General Manager of Energy at Intel. The future of energy is his thing.
2: Happy to have the opportunity. That's one of my favorite topics. (laughs) I mean, it's moving from the traditional one-way flow of energy from centralized power to the point of consumption to one that's more distributed at the edge and includes renewable energy resources, EV charging resources, and there is an IoT layer across all those devices. But if we're able to aggregate all of that information and access to those loads, we can use them then to balance the grid real time based on all those different devices. But again, as I was mentioning before, the key to it is putting enough compute at the edge to aggregate those devices and do something more than just aggregate them. So take the data um, and make, make decisions and even move towards automation automated control of the grid at some point in the future.
0: I'd like to come back to a term you brought up there, IoT or Internet of Things. To many of us, that might just be a smart device like a light switch. But you're saying that there are far bigger applications for it.
2: Obviously, it's more than what it has been in the past. But I think IoT itself, the term is new, but the concept has been around um, in the past as well. And you find a lot of Uh, installations, deployments of point solutions that are IoT-enabled. So that IoT and and using IoT technology to solve problems has been around for a while. But I think what we see coming now is an aggregation at the edge level of multiple workloads that have been supported by IoT and putting them on a more advanced compute platform at the edge uh, to Combine all those workloads under one platform and then also all the data coming across all those different devices and then using the data in a new way to look for trends, to combine different data sets that you haven't been able to combine before, as well as drive operational efficiencies by having all of those workloads under one compute platform using advanced technologies like AI and machine learning, which very difficult to deploy today under today's uh, traditional IoT structure.
0: So how can these new technologies be used to further energy? Isn't the grid a pretty entrenched thing that would be resistant to change?
2: Because the grid was built the way it was built for reliability and always on, and that was the primary purpose of the of the delivered electricity, as well as to fuel economic development where that reliable energy source was deployed through distribution networks. And that model's been in existence for, for, the, long, for the longest time, for the beginning of the delivery of electricity. To now, where the models we were talking about before is really being turned upside down, where a lot of that value, where a lot of that generation and power, where a lot of that capacity, flexibility exists is on the other side of the grid. But there's this momentum, almost, it's not physical, of course, but almost like a one-way downhill flow of electricity. When more consumption was needed, more power was built on the other end. Again, to the change today. So there's a the grid was built that way. So when now that we start pushing more and more power the other direction, we find start finding problems with the reliability of the grid, the life of the equipment, the ability for the grid to respond fast enough as these loads on the edge begin to grow. Places like in Australia where they're close to 30 to 40% renewable penetration, they have had to address this issue. And in in part of that is to uh, put enough compute at the edge. And again, that for me, the inflection point for flattening the grid in a way that all those electrons can be consumed in their highest and best use. And it, that means that some day, some points of the day the solar power is the best use electron and it doesn't matter where it comes from. The grid is flattened in a way that allows those electrons to flow the way the market uh, drives them. It also doesn't mean that Gas generated electricity is the lowest. In some cases, that's the highest and best use. But the grid today already has a is already prejudged the highest and best use because it has to support that model that's been in place for so many years. And there's a lot of invested interest in that model. So then transitioning to the new model and fully optimizing the ability to put clean, renewable, intermittent loads on the edge is to put compute, I believe, in the substation. Um, which will help, again, flatten the grid in a way that everyone can participate in the new model.
0: It sounds like energy management then becomes more than just piping energy from point A to point B, and more of a process of managing different workloads and protecting resources. But how how are we going to go about doing that? So, again, the kind of world we're talking about is going
2: to require low-latency fast response to market conditions and, and weather conditions, if you will. And to enable that type of load balancing requires a, an advanced level of compute that doesn't exist today, at the edge. So it it has to be at the edge because you can't afford the time to to send data back and forth to the cloud or to the data center, as well as the vast amount of data that you're now collecting We believe putting that compute in the substation where you can consolidate all those different loads onto one common platform and then put that AI machine learning software onto that platform. And you can think like a a mini data center to substation, then all this activity can happen seamlessly with less friction as opposed to the the way the grid and substation in particular is built today.
0: The energy industry seems to be becoming more of a platform than just a straight transactional service. What does the future look like for energy companies as a result of that?
2: I think it depends on what the utility wants to be. I think utilities that want to, so let me go back real quick to another analogy to the tele- telecommunications industry, which I hate to admit I'm old enough to remember pretty distinctly when there was a breakup of in this is in the u.s a breakup of the telecommunications monopolies to deregulation and competition and out of that the companies that put in all that infrastructure the southwestern bells of the world were not the ones that necessarily benefited from all the services and profit that came off that infrastructure that was google amazon the companies that used all that broadband internet um to offer new services so i think the similar thing is happening here I think the grid is a platform for the delivery of a lot of new services, and we're already seeing it today. And there's a lot of revenue associated with those new services and plenty more that we developed over time. So I think the threat to the utilities is, do you take advantage of all the investments in the grid to offer these new services and be the um, deliverer of those services? Or do you let the market fill that void? I think the, the challenge utilities have is they're built for reliability of service, it, they're very heavy engineering, which they needed to be, and they've done a fantastic job of it. But now you ask an organization that was built for one business model to now become more of a agile, almost startup in consumer services. And they're just, they're not built that way. Plus regulation keeps some utilities from innovating in the ways that we're talking about. So I I definitely think there's a threat and an opportunity for utilities today.
0: It's this notion of platforms and that industries can offer more than just what they may do on the surface, which is really at the heart of what a smart territory can be. How could a service offer more and integrate with a far larger ecosystem to create a more sustainable and democratized society? There's one huge opportunity that has still yet to be taken advantage of to its best potential. It's one that embodies the the physical transportation within our communities and our roads. Autonomous vehicles, or self-driving cars, rely on everything we've covered so far. 5G provides top-line traffic and infrastructure data, while the edge computations that are happening inside cars keep you safe by making split-second decisions that a remote source could never get to you in time. To define exactly what an autonomous vehicle is, here's Frank Wamas from Capgemini.
3: I think when it comes to autonomous vehicle, I, I always use that at least it is, an, it is an object that transports something, whether it's you or whether it's goods, uh, where there is no human interaction into the steering of the of the vehicle. Uh, uh, another definition which, which is commonly used or was commonly used in the industry is like, you know, what is the level of autonomy which the vehicle has, uh, where they had level one to level five, where level five should then be, you know, no human interaction uh, required. You know, everything is done by the vehicle itself. Uh, what we see in the industry is that people actually are letting a little bit go of that typology because uh, you know there's too much confusion of what is level two, what is level three, what is level four, what what is the different definitions uh, of 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 that different levels. For me, if if you're talking about full autonomous vehicle, then basically it is about the object that, you know, without human interaction can actually transport itself uh, uh, from A to B. Technologies that come in play with that uh, are various ones. And, And that is also a little bit, if you talk to the different people in the industry of, you know, how will the autonomous vehicle actually be successful and how will we reach that stage of full uh, being full uh, being in full autonomy uh, most most important technology uh, is of course artificial intelligence uh, and that comes in different ways on the one hand because the car will make the decision for you but you know you will always be put into a new uh, situation which the car doesn't know yet so you cannot just have a decision tree where the car will take a decision based on the decision tree because you know that point in the in the tree perhaps never was reached so that is where you know ai technology actually comes into play but also in training the software actually at this moment in time ai already comes in play and then you also talk about bots so actually uh, nvidia got some really cool technologies where actually they they teach the autonomous car to become autonomous, not in real life, what we saw earlier with the, the Google cars, but actually in a virtual environment. So we build a virtual city, and then we let the virtual car drive in the virtual city, and then actually develop its uh, its algorithms, which is kind of uh, kind of cool. The, the second very important part that comes with it is the, is the radar lidar technology. And again you know different cars, different uh, manufacturers rely on different kind of technologies in that space. Some rely on cameras, some rely on lidar, some uh, on radar so different kind of technologies, sensor technologies in order to get the data feeded into the car to make the decisions. Because, you know, you need to see what is coming to you, what is ahead of you, and how do I interpret it? So can I interpret, you know, whether that is a car, whether somebody is going to slow down or going to speed up? You know, those are the things that you actually need to, uh, need to have, uh, have in play. So I think those are the, are the two most important parts. That only comes, of course, if I can store my data somewhere. And I think that's where the cloud play comes in. Because where will I, you know, make sure that, you know, first of all, I need to get those those algorithms into my car. But of course, you know, I need to have my data points. Uh, So so cloud, big data, making sure that I have direct interaction that I can actually, if if, if updates are required, I can actually have over the air delivery into the car and I don't have to go to a dealer to optimize it. That I think is the third uh, uh, technology that uh, that comes in play. And the fourth technology for me is, uh, is potentially 5G. Because uh, now, uh, of course, we have the technology already to come far in the data, but the more complex uh, and the more autonomous we want our cars to, have to become, the faster and more data we actually need to consume within the car. And, and some people also rely, you know, it's not only that the, the car completely will be autonomous on itself, it will also be communication between cars. Then 5G comes into play in order to make sure that we have the communication with that loads of data between the different objects that play a role into traffic.
0: Getting your head around the complexity of how autonomous vehicles work with each other And the world around them is is a pillar of how we change our ecosystems to be smarter and more sustainable. It's not just 5G and edge compute here that lead the charge. AI plays a critical role in everything. Next episode on Intelligent Industry, we're going to deep dive into the mind of artificial intelligence and the surprising discoveries that will enable a whole new way of cities operating and organizing their roads, services, and even the people that live within them. A big thank you to Dan Beeler from Forrester, Mike Bates from Intel, and Frank Wamas from Kepgemini. You can find out more about them and the work they do in the show notes. If you like this episode, don't forget to subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. Intelligent Industry is hosted by me, Vito Labate, and produced by Kepgemini and Adrift Entertainment.